Welcome to Woke and Wired, a new conversation about expanded consciousness and entrepreneurship. Let's talk about the mess. Let's talk about when you were like crying and like couldn't pay your rent and you know the shame you felt here and what that was like and how people responded and like you know the where you got wasted for five days in a row because that was the only way you could cope with your pain. Like like that was those are the stories I think we need to hear more of to help people feel less shame around their journey. Entrepreneurship is spiritual. Like the process of entrepreneurship in itself is spiritual. The process of inviting any kind of uncertainty into one's life. Uh, is spiritual. Try to be really honest with yourself. Give yourself permission to be in a place where things feel messy because that they, they do, you know, and things feel uncertain. And that is part of the natural process. And don't deny yourself of those emotions and try to actually ask what the emotions are telling you. Hey guys, welcome back to Woke and Wired. I am just coming back from Guatemala where I spent a weekend with my friends from Cacao Lab connecting with the local farmers and doing cacao ceremony and eating cacao pods fresh from the tree. If you want to check out what that looks like and where chocolate actually comes from, then check out my posts on Breakfast Criminals Instagram. There's some videos of cacao being harvested. It's mind-blowing and it was really cool to connect with the Mayan elders there and today is actually the last day to back the documentary that my friends from Cacao Lab are making about the Mayan culture of cacao and sacred chocolate. So another thing that I am excited about right now that I want to share with you is bullet journaling. My boyfriend introduced me to it and it's a method of tracking your life, your goals, your accomplishments and things that are important to you. I'm currently reading the book about it that explains the system and, and how it came about and I'm really really inspired by it and I'm going to start bullet journaling in the new year or maybe actually earlier. I, I'm not into let's start the new things in the new year but instead let's slowly build up beforehand and let's start reflecting now and setting up new goals and new intentions and really connecting to what's important and leaving behind what's not. This week's episode is with Megan Bruno, who is a psychotherapist, a podcast host, an executive coach, a speaker. We met at Revitalize, a mind-body green conference that happens in Arizona every year. And Megan has an incredible story of overcoming anxiety and depression and having an eating disorder. And she is very transparent about all of her struggles. And she's on a mission to bring more light to failures and challenges to create a sense of connection and belonging. Quoted by Deepak Chopra as a millennials therapist, Megan has a no bullshit approach and a relatable voice that has been featured all over TV, all over press, on the morning news, etc. She is also an entrepreneur and is very connected with the entrepreneurial world here in New York City. And she has a great sense of humor. So this episode is all about the connection between entrepreneurship, personal development, spirituality, and what role perfectionism plays in it and how she has discovered through her own practice that perfectionism is what stops most of us from dreaming big, from taking risks, and from being happy. She shares about her relationship with being seen as an influencer and how her Instagram blew up overnight and she got 3,500 followers after a famous social media person mentioned her. In this podcast, she mentioned who that is. She shares about managing anxiety and depression how she became a mind-body green contributor, how she started blogging accidentally, how she moved to New York from Canada, and the mistakes she has made that prevented her Instagram growth. I mean, Instagram is just the top layer of what we're talking about. A lot of it is about the psychology of our relationship with being an entrepreneur and being connected to social media, which we all are in this age. And she also shares why positive thinking doesn't work when you're depressed or feeling low. 
So listen on. It's an explicit podcast, lots of laughs. And if you feel connected to any of it, please pause right here and take a moment to write a review and leave a rating on the iTunes podcasts app. Thank you for listening. Thanks for coming back every week. And take a screenshot. If you're enjoying this, take a screenshot of you listening to this and tag both at Woken Wired and at Megan J. Bruno. Both our handles and all the resources mentioned in this podcast are linked in the show notes, or you can find them at WokenWired.com. All right, guys, I have Megan Bruno here. And we met at Mind Body Green Summit Revitalize. Yeah, we did. Not this year, but this past year. And we ended up sharing an Uber. We didn't speak the whole conference. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, who is this really loud blonde yeah, chick? I won't stop talking. And then we ended up sharing an Uber ride back. And I was like, wow, we have got to be friends when we're back in New York. I know. And then we hung out again at Revitalize this year and I was just like blown away by your vulnerability, your honesty, your humor, your intensely captivating storytelling about everything from (laughs) date, like the most horrific dating stories, psychedelics, entrepreneurship. Yeah. So we're going to get into all of that. Yeah. I'm an open book. So my first question to you is when I look at your Instagram bio, it says, NYC and remote therapist, executive coach, storyteller, and host of The Failure Factor. Here to help you like yourself and life a little more. So what is that? What is it that you actually do? <laughs> I know. I feel like I get asked this so much and I should really have like a cohesive way of describing what I actually do. But I guess, I mean, primarily my trade, as a former colleague once said, is as a therapist and a coach. So that's where I did my education. I have a master's in counseling psychology. I've been doing that for over a decade now and I love it. And it's like my like bread and butter, I guess you could say. And it's something that I will always do. It's also my research and my meaning. And in the past few years, I've also moved more into like the coaching realm because it's just a bit of a different way of practicing different clientele, but still very much. I'm more like a, I'm a therapeutic coach, I guess you could say. So I don't just focus on I, what's, I'm saying what's up here and I'm motioning to my head. I don't just focus on what's above the neck and the cognitive, but I focus very much on the somatic or the body-centered practices as well and the process and what happens in the room. Um, so it's not just something that you can put in a book and give somebody that information. It's, it's very individual and personalized. So that's what I do primarily. However, in the last few years or really since moving to New York, my mission in coming here, I like to joke that I came here on equal parts like narcissism and idealism. Um, I wanted to change the world and I thought I could. So I came here to do more writing and reach people on like a greater scale, whether that's again through writing, podcasting, speaking, more like group facilitation, stuff like that, workshops, panels. I just want to use my voice. So yeah, I mean, I guess like everything, I specialize in perfectionism, which is essentially a way of coping with shame or chronic shame that we have. And that perfection, excuse me, that perfectionism manifests in a bunch of different ways. You know, originally my personal journey was working with eating disorder treatment and recovery. I struggled with eating disorders for many years and that was a manifestation of my perfectionism. That was a way I was trying to avoid my shame and, you know, um, avoid my critical inner voice and my uncomfortable feelings and try to orchestrate my life in a way that I never felt discomfort. But I realized over the last decade that perfectionism isn't just about um, you know, there isn't just one manifestation of it. I mean, there's, we all experience it in some way. We all are trying to avoid our uncomfortable feelings and our critical inner voice. And so I've been kind of branded in different areas. Uh, Mind Body Green wanted to brand me as like a dating expert. So <laughs> I've worked a lot in helping people overcome their fears of like rejection and the anxiety of the process. Which you helping. have a course on dating. Yes, I have a course. Yeah. And you know, over the last couple of years, I've gotten a lot more into like attachment theory and helping people understand how their uh, childhood attachments will impact their romantic relationships and what they put up with or what they gravitate toward and helping repattern some of that. And then, of course, I've always worked a ton with like anxiety and depression. That's just like, those are such common manifestations of perfectionism, but also just our mental health challenges that we deal with in our day to day. And then finally, the last few years, I've gotten more involved in entrepreneurship. So I started working with Forbes 
few years back and I had a podcast with them called The Failure Factor, which I still now have, but I, I release episodes very sporadically, but essentially helping people realize how their own, again, perfectionism, but fear of uncomfortable feelings, unrealistic expectations, critical relationship to themselves and self-worth dependent on outcomes and achievements manifest in the experience of being an entrepreneur and how it holds us back from doing things that we need to do to succeed, like networking or public speaking or presenting or fundraising or branding ourselves or taking risks or sitting with uncertainty or, you know, outsourcing rather than micromanaging or, you know, yeah, outsourcing and, and not micromanaging, I guess I should say. So those are sort of like my main areas that I focus in right now. And, and currently I'm moving more into public speaking and working on a book proposal. Yeah, it's a lot. I know. And I guess so, I like I'm a an inf- hashtag or not hashtag quotes influencer as well. You yeah. actually yeah. talk yeah. to me more yeah. about that. You have yeah. a hashtag influencer life with a Y. Yeah. I mean, about? that's like was my ironic attempt and perhaps a way of like navigating my own discomfort around being perceived as an influencer. I have this conflict and this tension. I think a lot of people in our world who want to make an impact have this where you both want to put yourself out there and be, I don't know, I guess admired in some way because you want people to listen to your, what you have to say. So for me, like being a quote unquote influencer feels like a conduit to my message, right? I'm like, okay, if I put myself out there and people maybe come to me because they're like, oh, you know, she seems cool or funny. Or I want to know what she has to say, or this picture is interesting, or this quote is interesting. Then they're going to listen to more of like the spiritual teachings that I might, you know, put out there in other posts and stuff like that. Like I always see myself as a bit of an infiltrator. Like I'm like, I'll go into Forbes and help people realize how they're going to become more successful. But really what I'm trying to do is help them just be better humans on this earth and like like themselves more and be more compassionate to other people. Or, you know, I'll help the person overcome their body image struggles or their eating disorder, you know, or maybe they're like struggling with binge eating and they think that if they overcome binge eating, they're actually going to lose weight. And so they come and they're trying to like change that behavior, but help them understand actually it's not about the weight loss, you know, it's actually about our fucked up society and their chronic shame and, you know, media and diet culture and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I guess like the whole discomfort around being like an influencer is partially because I'm like, I don't know at what point you call yourself an influencer. It feels like a weird thing to say. And then also, so um, why is it weird? What is it about it? I, What's the I, perception that's like not landing? I think for me, I mean, I know I joke about being a narcissist, but I think, but I actually don't think I'm a narcissist. I think taking credit for our failures and our successes can be really destructive and it's a slippery slope. And so I think there's a connotation with like the word influencer that is, you know, my own interpretation and connotation, not anybody's, but it's a, it's a, an interpretation of like, I am someone who's important and I, therefore I am better than there's a power. There's something about power in that word influencer or, and as much as, you know, I, I feel like I'm being hypocritical because I, I want power but I think that power can so easily be abused. And at the moment a person is aware they have power, then that can sometimes, that's where ego comes in, right? Mm-hmm. So I think for me, it's about wanting to be an influencer, but never let ego come into that process. And to continue reminding myself, no matter how many like followers I might have, which really is not that many in comparison to, you know, someone like yourself or many other people, but no matter how many followers I have, or no matter how many books I ultimately sell, or no matter how much, how many dollars I charge an hour, my quote unquote success is not because of me. You know, I'm a determinist. Like I believe that, you know, I could have been born into a completely different situation and I could end up in a completely different situation than I am now. And that wouldn't be like my fault per se, just like my successes are not because of like what I've done. It's because like, you know, the boulder has continued to roll down the hill and gather whatever it gathers snowball. I don't know. The snowball is rolling down. It's gathering other snow and sticks and whatever else. And, you know, I, and so I, I just think that it's, it can be really destructive when we think like I'm an influencer, therefore I'm more important. Therefore, like everyone should listen to me. And it also causes us to sometimes close off from what other people are saying as well. So just because people believed in my message doesn't necessarily mean that like I'm more important or more, more valuable human on this earth. And I think that like inherently for me, the term influencer, there is like a power and a value connotation toward it. So I think that's my discomfort is it's just like, I really think that like, I mean, the way that I practice when I teach people is like, we're all in this together. You know, we're all considered average statistically. No one is like a more valuable human than someone else on this earth. And the idea of influencer for me makes it it seem that way. And it's also funny in the world where more and more people have more and more social media presence and more and more influencers exist in the world. I think that's about to morph into something like the whole term influencer. I don't know how long that's going to be around. Yeah. But I think 
this whole concept of having a lot of social media followers is starting to be seen differently because first of all, there's a question of how many of your followers are real? Totally. Second is, do you actually have influence and say in the real world or yeah. is it just the social media world and like a card house? Is that the word? <laughs> Um, yeah, like House a, of House of Cards. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes, totally. No, no, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> English is my first language. And I was like, what? You know, I was thinking like glass house, but yes. I completely agree. And I think, you know, we were talking offline about this earlier, but, you know, you have people who are influencers and it's because, you know, of, of strictly because of their appearance per se, right? Right. And it's like, what? Like, that's fucked up shit. Like, excuse my language, but like, actually don't because that's how I think it, what I think it means, you know? Like, I don't think anyone should be influencing our society just based on their genetics and creating a culture of shame to the, to move products, you know? Like, well, that's like, that's the whole modeling industry has been around yeah. in magazines. Like, I remember growing up, the thing I was obsessed with the most yeah. was fashion magazines, editorials, and yeah. super skinny, beautiful models. Yeah, exactly. And that, I mean, you and probably 99.9% .9 of other women out there, and it it instills in us belief that we're not good enough, you know, that we're never going to be good enough until we reach this unattainable for most of us at, you know, short of starving ourselves and living a life that's very painful, but an unattainable body type or appearance, you know, short of like many surgeries and things like that. And even if we do attain it for a moment, it's very impermanent because, you know, aging is part of life and our body's changing and our appearance is changing and stuff like that. So I guess when you speak about, you know, social media influencers, it's like, well, how many of these, what are they influencing and who are they influencing and how on, and on what? And yeah, I mean, I'm being beautiful. Exactly. Inspiring people it, to it, want exactly, to be beautiful. Exactly. Like, it's like, yeah, you're influencing me to feel shitty about myself. Right. So yeah, I think. But at like, the same time, there's more positive influencers now who do speak about body positivity, totally. which is changing the world outside of Yeah, it. I totally. And I think that that's, you know, it's interesting because I will post on this and then some of the feedback I get from people is like, well, I wouldn't have found you and I'm like really glad I found you and it's really helpful. And so it's certainly not black and white, but I think, I think we need to be having like critical, so critical social media should be a course in elementary school. You know, like we need to learn how to right. critique social media and recognize like what's real, what's not real, how to use it to serve us, how to become so self-aware. So we recognize like, oh, interesting. Every time I like look at this person's account, I feel worse about myself. Or every time I scroll through on Sunday morning and I see what everyone did last night and I was at home and I wasn't doing anything with my friends, I feel worse about myself. So being able to like recognize the actual impact it has on us. And, you know, what you said earlier about just there being so many influencers and stuff now, it's interesting because I was actually like, I had a moment earlier this week where I posted and I was like, oh, like my, I didn't get the reception that I was hoping I would. And I was so, I felt so many layers of emotion because at first I felt this like disappointment and anxiety and shame. And then I felt shame around feeling that I was like oh my god I'm so attached to my social media so I was like oh like like I, this is you know this is it's a good thing this happened because I realized I was like oh my gosh I'm starting to identify with being a quote-unquote influencer right and I don't I don't want that to be fused with my social media or excuse me with my identity and I was also thinking about people who are like strictly influencers full-time I was like that's a really precarious place to be my gosh I'm glad that I have these other sources of meaning in my life but so then I started Googling and I'm like, like, I was like, cause first I was like, well, why didn't I post you so badly? I was like, what's going on? Like, can there be something in my account? You only knew how many messages and texts I've gotten in the past few weeks. What happened to my engagement? What oh I my do? gosh. Yes, exactly. I'm sure. Okay. So I'm like, it's not just me. <laughs> what happened to my engagement? So I, I'm, I'm Googling it and that's what the, part of what the responses were is they're like, well, you know, it's so it's, Instagram is saturated, you know, like we're at a point at which like there, everyone has an account and they already have like so many people that they're following. And so, you know, your posts aren't necessarily going to be appearing within the thousands of other people they're following and stuff like that. So this just comes back to what you're saying, which is like, I don't know what the next evolution of like mm -hmm. being an influencer is, but I really hope it's not just Instagram. Like I hope it actually mm -hmm. is this like you know, other platforms and other ways of spreading messages of like what I would say is thought leadership. And, you know, somebody who's has a million followers because of their ass, you know, and I, I don't know. I mean, I, I want to be careful about what I say because there's maybe some way in which that can be empowering. You know, I still think Instagram inherently is very objectifying because it is about images. Mm -hmm. So as soon as we put an image as women, even, you know, unless it is an image that's, that's like, more counterculture, like what you were describing before, something around like body positivity or a person with like lots of acne and stuff like that. As soon as we put an image of ourselves, we're still self-objectifying. And I'm guilty of it. Like I totally do that myself, but we're still saying, 
you know, my value is in my appearance and I am an object, mm. not, you know, I try to have long captions and stuff like mm. that to accompany it. But, you know, that's why I have conflict around somebody just having a, a picture of their ass and getting like 400 million likes or whatever. You know? That's just self-image, right? Like yeah. I hear so often and I've also done this, this conversation of, oh, I don't have light that's beautiful enough in my house to take pictures. So I'm going to wait until I move. So there's always not enough. Yeah, totally. Totally. So messed up. And it's interesting because uh, I was thinking about this today, actually. Like, I was like, how can I make my social media more? So yesterday I posted a photo. I was out in the Hamptons yesterday. And like, even saying I was out in the Hamptons just sounds so douchey. Like, I'm like, just for the record, like, I stare at a wall most of the time, like my in my apartment, like, I live like I people come to me and they're like it's like you're in college. <laughs> you know, I'm like I know. I feel like when I moved to New York, I like you know, and I think a lot of people have that experience. But my life is not one that's like glamorous and I'm always going to like the Hamptons. I was saying, you know, a girlfriend of mine has her husband has a place there like we were staying out there. And yesterday like I was like, you know, I I haven't posted a photo in a while and so I was walking on the beach and so I posted a photo. I wrote in the sand highlight reel and I posted that and you know just kind of a reminder like yes here's some irony here here I am in the Hamptons right but it's the highlight reel I'm not posting like the like mundane aspects of my life and so I was thinking about that as I was walking today I was like what how could I start posting things somebody commented on my Instagram you know I was ironing when I read this and like you know that I don't post that I'm ironing because that doesn't seem Instagram worthy and so I kind of like I mean it was a joke but I was like yeah like what could I post that would help people feel more normal in their like mundane aspects of their life and find like the beauty in like the mundane right as opposed to like the Hamptons weekends and stuff then I was like but the problem is because humans we have like an aesthetic eye and we actually like you know dopamine and shit happens in our brain when we see something really pretty that we like it's like how do you like we still want something to be aesthetically pleasing so that's why like a lot of the photos that don't have good lighting or that you know aren't curated or whatever like they're not as Instagram worthy, you know, and they might not get as many likes or as much reception. So that's something, I mean, I don't have an answer for it, but I was thinking about that today. And I wonder like for those people who are like, I have to wait, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. Like if there is some sort of in between where we can still create something that's like aesthetically pleasing enough that a person pays attention, but they get like a different message. And that's actually like, that's my, that's always been my MO is like, how can I trick someone into important message in a way like how can I be a gateway you know Mm -hmm. whether it's through like them wanting to like you know stop whatever eating disorder behavior or them wanting to become a very successful entrepreneur and then get these messages Mm -hmm. of like compassion and normalcy and wellness together so I don't know something to think about if you if you come up with anything I've been thinking about a lot I'm reading Gary Vee's Crushing It okay and he brings up this idea of Instead of waiting until you're there and then sharing, mm-hmm. share your journey yeah. and the steps along the way. Totally. And that way people are, re- re- it's much more relatable mm-hmm. yeah. and that people are more invested in you and your journey. Right. Because it's more real. Totally. And you actually see every step of the way and that really resonates. Yeah, absolutely. That was like the mentality behind my my podcast in some ways, like the, the failure factor. I wanted to hear people's stories of like failure and challenge so that others would feel empowered being like, oh, this like hugely successful entrepreneur who I always admire, like went through all these challenges and not in a way that's like, I went from challenge to triumph and I did it so well. It's like, no, like, let's talk about the mess. Let's talk about when you were like crying and like couldn't pay your rent and, you know, the shame you felt here and what that was like and how people responded and like, you know, the, where you got wasted for five days in a row because that was the only way you could cope with your pain. Like, like that was, those are the stories I think we need to hear more of to help people feel mm-hmm less shame around their journey mm. and, and feel like the journey is actually within their reach or mm. the outcome is within the reach that they're looking for. And I'm going to link Megan's podcast guys in the show notes. So definitely check that out. So what was your journey with becoming visible with your work? Cause we're both mind body being contributors. I know yeah. that's been a big part of what you do. Totally. And I know that at some point you also were mentioned by someone with a lot of followers and your Instagram blew up. You were yeah. texting you like, what is <laughs> happening? What do I do? I just got a thousand followers. Yeah. Walk me through. Yeah. So you're from Canada. So yeah. You guys might be hearing in the accent. Right. Oh, do you hear, do you have the urine accent? I don't that, know. About. About. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought <laughs> I'd like lost it or being from the West Coast. I don't have just as much, but sometimes people are like, you're Canadian, aren't you? So you moved from New York to New York. Yes. Yeah. So I moved to New York. I mean, it's a long story, but I'll try to make it as short as possible. The the long story short is I had been 
after my own, you know, recovery from eating disorders and anxiety and depression. And, you know, when I say recovery from anxiety and depression, like I still, you know, manage, it's basically like learning how to live and manage with it. I think that if you have dealt with depression your entire life, it's rare that people come to a place where they're like, I never feel depressed again, or I never get that sense of like chronic shame or whatever. Um, But I'm in such a good place with it now. And I'm actually really grateful for it. But anyway, so after my recovery, finding like spirituality, you know, a lot of big part of my recovery was yoga. You know, again, that was very like physical therapist said that I couldn't run anymore. And the only thing I could do was yoga. And I was like, I hate yoga. Yoga's the worst. But then I ended up realizing like, oh my gosh, yoga is actually really, there's something about this that's really healing for me. And then, you know, not only did I heal my body, but I healed so much of like my heart and mind and spirit and everything. And so I was working at a college for a few years as a counselor in their student health and counseling great position. I was like faculty, eight and a half weeks vacation, like amazing benefits. Loved the work. Like it was awesome. Like it was just such, it was just like, you know, five clients a day with anxiety and depression and relationship issues. And they're just like also motivated and beautiful and wonderful. And um, when I say beautiful, I don't mean physically, beautiful humans. And uh, you hopefully you get that for me by now. And it was great because it was such good research. Like I felt like I was just doing this like large scale research project for years on the human condition. And I started writing um, because I was like, I think I'm going to start a blog. Like, I just feel like people need to know that they're actually normal. I started my blog, I think it was 2012. Right. It was Breakfast Criminals. Oh, really? Amazing. It was either 2012, it might have been 2013, actually. But either way, whatever. So it was either 2012 or 2013. One Shrink's Perspective. (laughs) Yes. So I was just like, you know, this is just my perspective on things. And at first, I was like, I just want to, I, I just loved writing. And I was like, I just want a place to like write and say some of these things. Maybe it'll help a couple people, whatever. And actually what happened was the yoga studio that I had, I'd worked for a yoga studio after I got my master's because I couldn't find a job right off the bat and I couldn't afford yoga. So I was like, I guess I'll just work for $12 an hour cleaning mats and checking people in so I can get free yoga. And I started writing for their blog after I'd left there. And once I'd, I'd started mine, but I was like, Hey, can I contribute to your blog? Where was that? That was in Vancouver, British Columbia. So I wrote for their blog. I can't even remember what the first article was that I wrote. And I had an account, like an email account associated with it, like one perspective at gmail.com, which I never checked. Months later, I was like, I should check and see if I have any emails here. And I checked the email and I had an email from a place called My Yoga Online, which later became like Gaia TV or Gaia or whatever. And it was a woman being like, I read your post on like Semper Viva's blog and loved it. Would you want to write for us? And I remember looking at the Mayo online page and they had like 400,000 Facebook fans or something. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, whoa, like they would want me to write for them. And so I started writing for them. And then at the time, I'd always been like an avid Mind Body Green reader. And I was like, I maybe I'll just try to submit an article to Mind Body Green. Like, you know, why not? Right. I mean, it's sort of similar vein. And so I, I remember the first time I tried submitting, I never heard anything back, just crickets. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm like, you know, I guess they don't want what I have to say, right? I had never submitted an article to an editorial before. And I then for some reason, like again later, I had another idea and I was like, I'm gonna try this one too. And so I sent them an article. It was like 12 lifestyle factors that, will, that make you feel depressed. And it was like a holistic look at depression and how we're so over-medicated and you know, doctors are always just like, here, take a pill, take a pill. And they never ask you like, are you heartbroken? You know, what's your diet like? Like, you know, do you have any meaning in your life? You know, like you have friends, Um, do you get any exercise? So I, this article they did accept and it like blew up. It did so well. And they wrote me back and they're like, would you want to like write for us again? And I was like, oh my gosh. And like, here's a couple ideas. And I was like, this is, so I got involved in that process and we started writing for my buddy green and my first few articles did really well for them. And so they invited me to this conference, Revitalize, where we ultimately met. But they wrote, invited me to their first one, which was, this was 2014 at this point. And I was still at the college. And they invited me to that conference. And I went. And I had also visited New York a couple of times before. And I just had this, like, visceral reaction to New York in which I was like, I need to be here. And I don't know why. I don't like food. I don't like fashion. I don't like, like, or I'm not like a food. Yeah, I like, love food. But I'm not like, oh, go to New York for the food. Like, I'm not into, like, culture or art or anything like that. I mean, I love music, but I don't really go to a lot of concerts. I'm, like, born and raised in small-town British Columbia. I love nature. Like, there was nothing about it that made sense. I'm Canadian. But I was like, I have to be in New York. I don't know why. I just know I have to be here. So when I went to that conference, I met, like, multiple founders of startups here who, like, I connected with. And they're like, you know, maybe maybe you can come work for us. And one of them in particular was, yeah, I think actually like we could use you here. And so ultimately they sponsored my visa 
and amazing, I, which yeah. is a big deal. If you guys don't know, getting yeah. an American sponsored visa is a huge yeah, deal. Yeah, it was. It was. Ve- I was very fortunate, and but the, the rationale behind it was, you know, there I was at working at this college, you know, amazing, amazing job. When I said I was going to leave, people were like, "Are you out of your mind?" And I was living with my boyfriend. You know, I played soccer three times a week. I went to Whistler every weekend. Like. I had this super comfortable life and there I was teaching people that like living within their comfort zone is actually like so oppressive and is preventing Mm -hmm. them from living the life they want to live. And so I'm like, I had been trying to do more things that scared me until that point. Like I'd done like, you know, like I'd gone scuba diving and done a Vipassana retreat and like, you know, done a lot of travel and stuff like that. And I felt like I was doing things out of my comfort zone, but I was like, this is the ultimate like spirit next spiritual challenge for me or you know um step on my spiritual quest and really in the last few years it's become that much more apparent like why I had to do it but I just didn't know at the time I just had really strong intuition so yeah so that I mean that was definitely not the short version of the story that probably was the story but yeah so that's ultimately how I ended up here and as far as like my brand and like getting followers and stuff so because I I am a pretty like avid writer and I just like I I'm just very opinionated like it's never been like like oh I'm gonna try to get followers I'm gonna try to get like this make this go viral I'm just like, this is fucked up, but I'm going to talk about this. And like, I need a platform. And so, you know, whether it's through Mind, Body, Green, or it's been through Huffington Post, or even on Medium, I've had some articles that have done really well, or now Forbes, but like, you know, I've written for everywhere. And so, you know, I, I guess I gained followers through my articles for the most part. And then what happened was... Um, I guess like the, my podcast and Forbes and stuff was helpful as well. But like the big, like the, the influencer who mentioned me was Melissa Hartwig, who is the founder of the whole 30. And it's interesting because I mean, I like love Melissa. I think she is like such a like woke human and she's just like one of the more like, like most like humble self-aware humans I've ever met. And I, I think she has like so many incredible things to say. All that said, I work a lot in sort of recovery. So I don't actually like recommend or advocate for the whole 30 itself like I think that there are a lot of people who are quite vulnerable to disordered eating for whom it's it's not a great fit for and and at the same time you know it can be a great fit for some people so it's just I'm, I'm like you know as I explain how much I like absolutely adore and respect Melissa so there's parts of her program I, I don't support but I think that that's you know that's like anybody and anything and I think one of the problems in our world today is that if we don't support something that like one aspect or opinion a person has, we actually like write off that human as an individual, mm-hmm. which is so dangerous, especially in our political Oof. climate. Like anyway, such a powerful point. Yeah. It's actually, I'm listening to this book right now. It's called the coddling of the American mind. And it's like, like it's pretty, it's triggering in some areas because in some ways I'm like, Whoa, like this is a bunch of like a couple like white privileged dudes who don't know what the fuck they're talking about. But then I'm like, but this point they made is a really good one, you know? And I think we just, this is a side tangent, but I think we just, all need to become better at like listening to a human and what they have to say and like taking what serves us and leaving behind what doesn't rather than being like, just because you said one thing I disagree with, I'm going right. to write it all off. And I'm guilty of it. You know, I, to be honest, totally. like, I don't love Gary Vee. I don't love Tony Robbins because of some stuff that they say, but I'm like, you know what? They actually, mm-hmm. there is some really important stuff that they say as well. And I, mm-hmm. you know, need to put my own like reactivity and ego aside and, you know, be more open-minded and stuff like that. Anyway, so... You know, I think there's also yeah. another aspect of it. First of all, yeah, totally agree with yeah. you. I also have the tendency to just, like, cancel something out yeah. when part of it doesn't resonate. Right. But I think part of humanity and yeah. kindness and acceptance is taking the whole picture. And I think you just so beautifully separated. This is the project... I, part of the project I don't support. Yeah. This is the human I love and adore. Yeah. And there's nothing to be ashamed of. Yeah. And also, you know, for me personally, I find that a lot of times I'm very resistant to a person or an idea Mm -hmm. or a project when that's actually what I need, but I'm not ready to admit it. Totally. Yeah, exactly. And I think like, that's where the idea of like projection and stuff comes from. And, you know, oftentimes we get really defensive around areas that, yeah, we need to do the work. So I don't ascribe to, I can't remember, is it is it Glennon Doyle or who's who's someone who's basically like if you have a reaction it's always every time like about you I don't ascribe to that I think there are places where like you know where especially in in places of like oppression you know especially Mm -hmm. as a woman it's like oh if I have a reaction to a man who's like using like his dominance or like sexually harassing me in some way or sexually assaulting me in some way if I have a reaction to that is that about me like Mm -hmm. no right so there are places where I think that mentality can be very disempowering especially for minorities but that being said, it is something where it's like self-awareness is the, the answer there. Like being able to recognize like, am I reacting to this because I'm jealous or because mm-hmm. I feel insecure or mm-hmm. because of ego in some way? Or am I reacting because 
this anger is here to tell me a boundary is being crossed or an injustice has occurred or, you know, this isn't in line with my values or I'm being mistreated or something along those lines. So coming back to Melissa Hartwig, she, I had interviewed her on my podcast. She told this like fucking like incredible story of her, like overcoming her heroin addiction and just like the trauma she's been through. And just like, again, like such a resilient individual from there. We, she followed me on social media and she like a lot of my stuff resonated with her. And then one day, just like super randomly, I got a notification that was like, Melissa Harwick has mentioned you in her story. And I was like, that's weird. Like, I wonder what, like, I, I thought it was a mistake. I was like, oh, she must have like accidentally, you know, like, you know, sometimes that happens. And I look at it and it's like, not only has she mentioned me once, she's mentioned me in like five separate stories. And she's done this like ode to Megan where she's like, my friend Megan Bruno is like, the, like at the forefront of the self-love movement and like she has so many things to say and then she's like here are a couple of her posts like you should everyone should follow her and I was like I am so like humbled and honored and touched and I was like wow like I wonder if I'll get like a maybe I'll get like a hundred followers from and this. just for perspective Melissa probably has like half a million followers yeah she's got I think it's like 240 or something like that and I was like yeah I should I probably get like maybe maybe about a hundred that's cool 3,500 followers in 24 hours 3,500 like it was just like follow, 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 follow. And I was just like, pew, pew. and it was, I mean, it was super overwhelming. I, I reached out to you and I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, what's the move here? I'm not a social media expert. Like I'm this sporadic poster who has an opinion about something. And was like, I'm going to talk about this. People are always like, you should have a content strategy. You should use one of those like Planly or whatever. I'm like, huh, me Planly? Like, no, I just, I just think of something and I post it. That's how it works. Anyway. So I was like, so fortunate with that. Like, she so she did that and then Deepak Chopra um actually regrammed something I had done as well. Who your buddies or, with. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's a human. He's actually. also great a great human. And so I got lucky. Like I I mean I should say, you know, whatever, luck. I was fortunate in the sense that these, you know, relationships that I developed, they believed in my work and they wanted to help me spread my message again. It was unsolicited. And so that was really like the foundation to, I guess, having like an audience that is not just my friends and family kind of thing. So has it always been unsolicited or are you like a go-getter that's driven? It's like, people need to see my work. Well, you please share it. It's funny because it's, I mean, I really, the more we talk about this, the more I'm like, it is such a good exercise in recognizing ego, social media stuff. Because like, so I recently wrote this Forbes article about a woman um, called, or what's her name? Nikisha, Nikisha Riley. And she's like this really badass, like mental health advocate, like who, she was a, she's a model. She's got like a, I don't know, what's apo, apothecary or whatever. Apothecary? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it is. <laughs> But I know you do. They probably serve elixirs and herbs. <laughs> exactly. So she's got one of those. She her, She's very open about her struggles with mental health. And so I try to amplify voices of minorities and people who struggle with mental health because, you know, I think it's part of destigmatizing. And part of my like role and responsibility is to try to amplify those voices and stuff in the stories. So anyway, I published this article or an interview with her. And I had said, like, you know, this was with Forbes, like Forbes doesn't really pay. Like it's, and uh, I was like, you know, it's just like, I'm really trying to build my following. And she has this huge, huge following on social media. Like would just love if when you share, you could tag me, you know, like just, just throw my my tag on there. Like pretty simple. Anyway, she did. So she shares like hundreds of thousands of likes, like also Forbes shared like all these likes, like they're using my quote and like no one quoted me in any of it. And it was just so interesting because I was like, I was so disappointed and I felt angry. Mm. Like I was like, I want to be credited for this. Like, and so, yeah, I guess it's just like, it's such a, it's such a good exercise Mm. in ego. Like just being like, well, I want like people to see it's me, me. I've done this. I want credit for this. And then you have to keep coming back to being like, the point of me doing this work is to get the message out. and whether or not I'm being tagged, you know, obviously it's helpful for me to be tagged because it is going to result in like more followers and stuff like that. But the point is to, you know, help people and this helped people, Mm. even if I'm not getting credit for it. And so this was just coming back to your question about like soliciting um, people to tag you and give you shout outs and stuff like that. So yes. So when I have a person who I interview who has a large following or you know, I don't usually ask people to like regram a quote or anything like that, but if they do, oh, actually, you know, I did. Okay. So funny story. If you, do you know, Mark Groves, he's create the love is his handle. He's got a really massive following. Yeah. I met him on a plane on the way to Vegas. And actually, you know, it's so funny. So he had revamped something of mine and not credited me, but it was my fault. Cause I didn't put my, my handle on it. And that's how I learned to put your handle on your 
your quotes because otherwise they're going to get shared and reground, but you're never going to get credit because inevitably somebody like it gets lost to track somewhere. And so I'd send him this like kind of nasty, it wasn't a nasty message, but I would send him a message being like, like, cause here he has, he's like 250,000 followers or whatever. And he quote, he's like, posts my quote and doesn't give me credit for the quote. And I'm like, Hey, like Mark, like, <laughs> can you please like credit this is my quote, you know? And he writes back and he's like, Oh, sorry. Like I didn't know that it was you. And afterwards I was like, oh, yeah, I guess that's fair. He probably didn't do it maliciously. But of course that's what our minds tell us is always like, it was malicious and someone intended that. So it's a good exercise. I mean, like maybe there are other scenarios here. So anyway, then I'm on a plane from Vancouver to Vegas and I sitting next to this guy. And I remember I was like, my friend was in a different seat because we just like got our tickets last, last minute. And I was like, oh, the guy next to me is kind of cute. And she's like, oh, you should start talking to him. So I start talking to him and I was like, oh, what do you do? And he's like, oh, like, he said either like relationships or communications. And I was like, oh, like PR. And he's like, oh no, I like, like help people with their relationships. And somehow like within the first couple of minutes of us talking, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I'm the person who sent you that Instagram message getting mad at you for regrounding my quote. <laughs> anyway, it was like really funny. We ended up sitting and we sat together the whole flight and like, like it was such a, like we, you know, we're like, we're buzzing out. He's in a happy relationship. It wasn't, I was like, oh, he's kind of cute. That's why I started talking to him. But you know, it was very clear within the first like three minutes that there was no, nothing romantic there. But we really connected over just like, you know, our industry and stuff like that. And since then he has Instagram something of mine and credited me. And so that was one where I guess again, like he's like, oh, I'll like totally like grab something of yours. Mm. And I was like, okay, like quote me. So I guess like if that's what you mean by soliciting, mm. I have done that, but I haven't really like reached out to people. Like I've never reached out to you and been like, hey, can you like grab a breakfast, like on breakfast criminals, like one of my quotes or something, you know? So I, it's like organic and it feels right. It's like, a funny thing. Yeah. You, do you get that? Do people, do people like reach out to you and ask you to Sometimes. post kind of stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I find it interesting. Yeah. So I want to shift gears because we've been talking about pretty much like how to get famous on social media right. and spread your message out there. <laughs> yeah. I want to shift gears into the world of like the energy and the spirituality behind it because yeah. you're someone who is interested in spirituality and mm-hmm. personal mind and spirit and heart expansion. And you have gone to events where some of the top entrepreneurs get together. You you are exposed to very successful people. Deepak wrote a book spiritual laws of success yeah so having interviewed and written and talked to so many different people in in this world what is what have you realized and understood and learned about the relationship of our personal development our spirituality and our success in the world as entrepreneurs yeah it's a great question and can be answered in so many different ways i mean i think the first thing that comes to mind for me is and i've said this many times like entrepreneurship is spiritual. Like the process of entrepreneurship in itself is spiritual. The process of inviting any kind of uncertainty into one's life is spiritual. And the reality is like life is uncertain. I mean, let's be real, but we create the illusion of certainty through, you know, plans and goals and, you know, 10 year plans and I don't going know. To soccer three times yeah, exactly. Going to soccer three times a week, staying in relationships that don't serve us and avoiding discomfort and stuff. So mm-hmm. inherently entrepreneurship is very uncertain. You just don't know you're, you're there's, there are many highs, there are many lows and you don't know what's where you're going to be in the next, like not even five years, like five months. And I think that that we're so much more aware of that. And so there is this opportunity to practice equanimity, which is a huge piece of spirituality, which is non-reactivity basically, right? Mindfulness at the core to what comes up, whether it's, you know, not attaching to, I mean, yeah, like there are opportunities for non-attachment. There are opportunities to non-attachment to like expectation and things like that, but also to emotion that comes up. And I am like an emotional advocate. Like, let me be very clear. I'm not a stoic. Like, I think that there is, we should not be not feeling our emotions or just rationalizing them away. Like I believe that our emotions are there as signals to send us a message. And through mindfulness, we go into that emotion and we ask if what it's telling us is a theory we want to work with or not, if that makes sense. So through entrepreneurship, you are constantly exposed to like rejection and disappointment and shame and humiliation and anxiety and frustration and, you know, hurt and like loneliness and like, overwhelm. I mean, there's just the whole gamut of emotions. And so we get to keep practicing with each one of those emotions, the non-reactivity or the self-compassion that allows us to be resilient to that experience and to persist even when we have like a big loss or, you know, get information that might tell us to quit or to give up. And sometimes when we get that information, we should listen to it, right? Like it's not just about like, you know, plow through and always be resilient to this in the sense that, you know, you're going to do this forever. But then, you know, to be able to 
not be completely sidelined by that and pivot and, you know, ask for help. And again, that's a, asking for help and, and outsourcing and stuff like that is also a practice in letting go of ego, because especially for men, I mean, they're taught to do everything by themselves and it doesn't work in their favor, but for a lot of us women as well. So, I mean, I think that's the first thing that comes up for me in terms of like the intersections between spirituality and entrepreneurship is that it, it's just a spiritual practice in itself. And it's a, it's an avenue to self-awareness. Um, and then, I mean, I think that I noticed this with almost every successful entrepreneur that I've interviewed. I think it's very hard to be both a spiritual human who is self-compassionate and aware of the precarious and fragile, impermanent nature of our lives and to do something that you don't believe in. So it's really, really important to, if you want, if you if you really want to be successful, I know this is cliche, but you have to be doing something that you like feel is greater than yourself, you know, like is not about just like hmm. making a bunch of money or being famous or like hitting a certain number or something that's very kind of fleeting, right? Like it has to be about, you know, the impact that I am having is one that is necessary in this world and it connects me to the greater human experience and it's going to have like a legacy and that's how I might negotiate my death anxiety is like this is going to live on or have a greater impact than when I'm even not here or when I'm, mm. you know, and this is all part of the collective consciousness and, you know, like being able to really have this more collectivist mentality versus the individualist, more ego centered mentality that a lot of entrepreneurs do have. Mm. So I think that's part of the reason too, that I sometimes have this, like this more like visceral, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It starts with an A. I can't remember, but, uh, like objection, I guess, to some of the the entrepreneurs out there who are like the influencer entrepreneurs who are like hustle all the time, like no grind away, like it doesn't matter if it like is painful, you keep doing, you know, no pain, no gain. Like it's like no, it, it shouldn't be that way. Like I think it's idealistic to expect mm -hmm. that it's always going to feel easy. It doesn't always feel easy, but the, that's where like the, the practice of discipline comes in, and that's another place where entrepreneurship is spiritual. I mean initially it's not you know at some point we all outsource the stuff that we don't really want to do for the most part but mm -hmm. there is a point at which you know you have to do the packing of boxes I'm sure you've shipped off many like breakfast criminals bowls my shipping yeah. station right here exactly like doing things that you you may I mean, maybe you find some like meditation in that process but a lot of us like don't enjoy the process of things that feel repetitive or mundane or boring or whatever and that's where the discipline comes in that's where it's like you're sitting and you're meditating and meditation is not enjoyable I mean mm -hmm. meditation I mean for some people maybe but I for me it's not for me meditation is it's a practice it's a discipline it's training the mind and so there are aspects of entrepreneurship that we can actually see as spiritual and as part of the discipline and as part of training our mind to be able to be equanimous and like be with the discomfort and do it anyway and not react to our emotions but be able to like go after what we truly want I feel like now I'm just saying a bunch of platitudes that don't actually make <laughs> a lot of sense so just coming back to that piece around like doing something that you really believe in I think that it is naive to believe that you can be both really a spiritual human or identify with that and identify with like compassion, self-compassion, like seizing life and recognizing the, the fragility of it and being in the moment and stuff like that. And also doing something that just feels like a means to an end. Mm -hmm. So that's something there. And then I kind of touched on this and it actually comes back to the whole, you know, self-awareness and practicing resilience and having the spiritual aspect of the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. But it, there is such an opportunity for self-awareness within it too, like through being able to recognize, and I said this earlier, but recognizing like for me, I'm like, I know the next thing that I need to do is, is public speaking. It fucking terrifies me. I speak too quickly. You know, I've always been told, I mean, and a lot of this is some of the criticism that I received growing up that I have to work through, but you know, you're too enthusiastic. You're too bubbly. You say like too much. You know, you say, you say too many, you speak too much just in general. Right. And even like, I mean, you know, I know you were joking, but it's like your experience of me at Revitalize. Like that's mm. my fear, right? It's like, mm. oh my gosh, like people do think this of me, right? They think, oh my gosh, that blonde who talks too much. Right. But that's the thing. You need to put yourself out there so that they get a chance to connect with the you that you are. Exactly. And I'm like, you know, and it, also people aren't all going to like love your style. Right. And people are going to have reactions and transference and stuff like that to the human that you are. So um, so, you know, through me being like, well, public speaking terrifies me. It gives me a lot of anxiety. If I listened to my anxiety, I would just avoid it. But because I have the awareness that I do, I'm able to be like, no, that's just, that's fear. 
And, you know, I can, I can work through that. And the more I do it, the easier it's going to become. Just like the first time I ever saw a client, like, you know, more than a decade ago, like that was terrifying. I remember mm-hmm. sitting in the room being like, <sighs> I was like 22 or 21. Like I was like, I was like a, obviously like a very young therapist, like in my grad school training, seeing my first client and being my internship and being like, oh my gosh, like how is this person ever going to take me seriously? They're like at least twice my age. <laughs> And, you know, they they probably didn't take me that seriously, but like you do it enough times and then you're like, oh, okay, this is old hat. This is easy for me. I don't feel that anxiety anymore. And so whether it's networking or public speaking or fundraising or branding yourself and putting yourself out there, putting things on social media and feeling vulnerable, it gets easier. And, you know, you survive whatever the difficult emotions are that bubble up with it. So, so do you consider yourself an entrepreneur? Yeah, I do. And it's interesting you say that because it's taken me so long to say that and it's only been within the past, like, probably like, like a month, I would even say. So can you explain, because someone might be listening and be like, wait, yeah. I thought she was a therapist and a writer. Right. So, okay. So it's, I mean, I've done a lot of Googling on this myself because I'm like, <laughs> wait, do I, can I own that title? So an entrepreneur, I mean, obviously there are many different interpretations of it, but it's like, if, if you, whether you currently or intend to scale. So if for people who don't know what that means, it's like, you're, you ultimately will have passive income in some way because through products. That was or exactly through, my next question. Yeah, okay. Okay. Cool. There. Yeah. So, so you'll ultimately have passive income in some way through products or, you know, I guess like it wouldn't be passive income to be like speaking, but you can still scale through speaking in the sense that, you know, I, I charge a to, shit ton of money. You can charge a shit ton of money. <laughs> exactly. Right. So there's not a ceiling there. So for me as a therapist or as a coach, there is a ceiling to what I can comfortably charge an hour or for 50 minutes there's less of a ceiling when it comes to speaking to audiences of potentially thousands of people, right? Or having, you know, the video courses or the books or, you know, whatever, then the partnerships and things like that, the events in which you can have different streams of income. So, I mean, some definitions of what an entrepreneur is, is it somebody who like takes a lot of risks? Like, like not not just in general. It's not like if you just, you know, just go around doing a bunch of drugs on the weekend, you're an entrepreneur. <laughs> but, no. but like takes a lot of risks within their business, and, um, you know, is a business owner who, and the idea is kind of like higher risk, you know, they are ultimately looking to, you know, grow their business significantly. It's not like, like for me, if I were a therapist and I had an, you know, a practice and I had kind of like the same amount of income every year, I, I mean, I still think I would call myself an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur in that position, but some people might be more inclined to be like, you're a small business owner, Right. Whereas I think, you know, the more you're having products, the more you're having different streams of income, the more you're outsourcing, the more you have employees, then you might see it more that way. But sometimes I call myself solopreneur. That's also right. one way of, but I mean, I have like three people working for me, you know, they're not, we're all working full time, but I've got, so I've got an assistant, of course. And then, and she does like, I mean, honestly, like she's done a lot of stuff for me with like my visa, my invoicing, my taxes, like all of that kind of stuff, like just throughout the year, helping me organize my life. I very unmedicated ADD. And so I'm like, it's a lot of that stuff. It just does not work for me to try to organize. Like I need to have somebody who can help me with my organization. Plus my calendar is a nightmare because, you know, between seeing a bunch of different clients and then trying to fit in other meetings and podcasts and stuff like that, it's uh, I need, I need help. Um, and then I've got um, an intern who helps me with my social media. So she helps me more with like graphics. She also helps me with my articles on Forbes. So I'll get her to do stuff like like she will, I'll, I'll send her what I want for a graphic and then she'll like make it up and then she'll send it back to me and I'll be like, oh, no, I kind of was thinking more this way, but she like, does like, I'll give her the copy. She designs it. Um, and then for like Forbes articles and stuff, I'll do an interview with somebody and then I'll be like, put this in the back end, clean it up. Like I'll still ultimately do the actual writing and like the copy editing, but she'll do like, you know, put the picture in there and do this and do that. Or like the other day, I, like she does just sort of random stuff for me. The other day I was like, I want my intake form to be prettier. Like, can you please make it pretty? Here's the copy. Like, so she does a lot of that kind of stuff. And then I've got like a marketing and booking person who she works on not an entirely commission basis. Like I still, she works on commission in the sense that if she gets me like a speaking gig, she'll get a commission for that. If she gets me like podcast sponsorship, she gets a commission for that. But then I'll also pay her to like make decks nicer and stuff like that for, you know, pitching me places. Again, some stuff related to my visa because my visa is just like a huge production. (laughs) As we're talking about the team and the scaling, what is your vision for success? It's funny, like success is such a, such an interesting word. What does it even mean to you? What does it even mean exactly? I mean, so for me, success is now, like I, I feel very successful. Like I've felt successful from the moment I had an impact on one human, the moment I got an email from someone being like, this 
article like was so impactful for me. Thank you. You know, like to me, success is not monetary. And I think that there's, I, I, there's a luxury in that. That's one of the areas, one of the few areas where in being a woman, you know, I think we have it a little easier or don't have to deal with some of the pressures and discomforts that men or other genders have to deal with in the sense that for me, like, I don't feel this, like, I mean, yeah, like I, maybe I, I have more pressure to, to be thin and that's what a woman is, you know, quote unquote, that's what a woman is. I don't actually believe that, but that's some of the narratives in our culture. Um, but like, I don't have this belief. You need to earn X dollars a year. You need to have this mm. much money in the bank. You need to have this much savings. Like you need to buy a house. You need to buy a car. You need to buy a boat. You need to buy a summer home. I don't have any of that. Like I'm kind of, I don't really like things. I, I like, I'm kind of a minimalist, like partially, partially by choice and partially out of necessity because I live in New York in a tiny apartment. But <laughs> so for me, success is just like impact and I'm, I'm doing it. Like I know I am. And so I guess like continued success for me is there's like the personal and then there's the, I guess the collective, I guess like the personal for me for continued success is continuing to do things that scare me. And so whether that's like right now it's, it's speaking, but it's even speaking in front of like a hundred people. Like that's scary for me. Right. There is going to come a point where I'm like, I'm going to be on a fucking stage and with like a mic and hearing like myself feeding back into the mic and like thinking and being like, Oh my God. And like looking into lights and not even knowing how many people in the audience. And that's terrifying to me, but like, I'm going to be there at some point. And so that's scary for me, you know, and like, you know, going through writing a book is, is less scary because there's, you can hide more with, with writing. I find, I think like doing stuff on camera is really scary for me. Standing behind my ideas is scary for me. Having, getting to a point in my success or my career at which I get a lot of pushback and criticism is scary for me. So as long as I keep doing that, to me, that is personal success. The more like collective or impact driven success, I think is, is reaching people is like, is just like these messages becoming more um, common and mainstream. And ultimately, like, this is the more kind of like aspirational part of myself. Like, I want to get into policy in some way. I want it to infiltrate policy. I want it to infiltrate like education and, you know, politics and like other aspects outside of the silo chambers or the the um, echo chambers, excuse me, the silos and echo chambers that we are in within like the wellness world. Because my that's part of the reason I try to infiltrate these places. Cause I'm like, we are often preaching to the converted. I'm sure many people listening to this podcast are already like pretty woke to a certain extent, right? Or they have like that, they want to be. Whereas like what I'm trying to do through like, you know, writing an article on Forbes about like how to be more successful or productive were both of words, which I don't love, you know, you get the person who's like really tied up in that mentality of like, yeah, I need to be better and more and like crush it. And, da, da, da. and then they like maybe have like just a little like window into a different perspective or how that mentality might not be serving them. And again, as I say this, I know this is all still like my opinion and my experience, but that's the only mm. one I know. So, um, so yeah, so that's like success for me. It's not about like success is now. I do try to really practice what I preach. I never want to find myself always rushing. And I'm on the brink of that right now, which is a little unnerving for me. And I always want to be able to like savor every moment and recognize I could get hit by a bus tomorrow and just like really enjoy what I'm doing mm. and then be able to still see the parts of what I'm do doing that I don't enjoy as discipline, mm. but not at the cost of like my happiness. If that mm. makes sense. Yes. Here's my question with all the executive coaching you've done and work yeah. with entrepreneurs. What do you find is the most common block that's holding people back from really stepping into their confidence and power and bully, being fully themselves yeah. that can actually people listening to this podcast can take on and try yeah. on into their lives. Honestly, I mean, I, I hate to sound like a broken record with perfectionism, but it's perfectionism. Like it's shame. That is the block. So, so, so just a little background on perfectionism, as I mentioned earlier, it is shame rooted or shame based, right? So perfectionism is the way that we avoid the emotional discomfort that we don't know how to handle because growing up, we probably didn't have the opportunities to learn how to emotionally regulate and deal with like, you know, hurt and loneliness and rejection and disappointment and all that kind of stuff. And we have this chronic shame about us because it's all based in attachment, which is our relationships usually with caregivers. And so, but it's not necessarily, it didn't necessarily come always from our parents. You know, a lot of us were bullied. We had, you know, difficult siblings. We had coaches. We had teachers. Like, we just had life. I mean, life bullies us. Media bullies us. Like, we're all subject to bullying, um, you know, throughout our lives. And some of us are just more resilient to it than others because of, like, the parental, usually parental relationships that we had that helped us learn how to to be resilient to that kind of thing. And so what I find is 
even my like super successful, like attractive, like charismatic, like even like male clients and stuff who you would never think like have some sort of like chronic shame or mm. insecurity. They have, they have, that's what it is to be a human. And oftentimes it's that that's like been at the root of their success to a certain point, right? Like they've been like driven to try to remediate this sense of chronic shame and not enoughness by being like, well, I know what I'll do. I'll be the captain of the football team. And then I'll like, you know, go to this Ivy league college and like make the Dean's list. And then I'll like, you know, go into finance and I'll do this and I'll do all these things. And yet, like they, in doing so, it's just been, well, maybe when I get here, or maybe when I get here, or maybe when I get here, then I'll finally feel enough. And so the beautiful thing about the work that I'm able to do with my clients is like, they usually come to me when they realize that that strategy is not working anymore. There's something they're either in a place of burnout or they're like, what is wrong with me? Why am I not happy? I've like done, I'm doing all the right things. I'm checking all the right boxes and everything like that. So I guess what I would say for a person, you know, who's, needs to take that next step and wanted to like remove blockages and things like that is, you know, look inside and be really honest with yourself and don't, don't listen to the, I, I, one of the things that bothers me so much is like the positive thinking movement and just like, you are, you are enough. You can do it. You are good. Like, it's like, that is not helpful. That never worked for anyone, you know? Like, I mean, so we, we can read these books over and over again and like tell ourselves these like mantras. And like, there is a place at which like, I think a mantra can be helpful if you're kind of on the verge of like being able to accept it. But if a person is in a place where they believe that they are like not enough unless, and you just tell them that they're like enough, I mean, it doesn't usually have like a ton of, of effectiveness. But, um, yeah. So basically I would say, Try to be really honest with yourself. Give yourself permission to be in a place where things feel messy because that they do, you know, and things feel uncertain. And that is part of the natural process. And don't deny yourself of those emotions and try to actually ask what the emotions are telling you. And if it's within your means, I do really encourage everyone to see a therapist or a coach so they can start to work through and recognize like, oh, maybe part of the reason I don't want to have this conversation with this person that would be super helpful mm. for advancing my business, or I don't want to post a picture of myself on social media and be vulnerable to, you know, comments or feel so exposed is because of like the way that I've adap adapted to my trauma and like what I've been through in life. And it makes a lot of sense. And there's nothing to be, there is nothing there to like be ashamed of, like that we all like adapt to the world in different ways. And everything that you do has some sort of like utility in it, but ultimately um, it may not be serving you anymore. And so I guess like the, the strategy piece that I would like want someone to walk away from is or with this is a way with, what am I trying to say? <laughs> the strategy piece that I want people to walk away from this podcast with is like self-awareness, make space for your uncomfortable feelings. Don't try to push them away. Don't try to just be positive. Don't try to just like push through it or be productive or get shit done actually like be curious about them. It's really just mindfulness at the core, but mindfulness and self-compassion, being curious and being like, what is it that I'm feeling right now? What are these thoughts that I'm having? Can I give myself permission to have them right now? Not believe them per se, not necessarily believe the feeling, but at least like notice it and ask if it's right. And then ask myself like, am I responding to this emotion in a way that is actually like cutting me off from like what I want to do? You know, like where is this, where is like the, what is like the goal and be really mindful that the goal is not just something that is there to give you a fleeting sense of enoughness. Make sure the goal is coming from a place of like meaning because that's far more enduring and what is getting in the way of me getting to the goal. And usually it's like self-criticism and unrealistic expectations. But if it is something like anxiety because of a fear of being seen or a fear of vulnerability or a fear of like the uncomfortable emotions that might come up in the uncertainty of the process. Usually why a person won't take a step forward and do that is because they don't feel like they have the resources to support them through that difficult experience. And the resources are usually self-compassion, falling back on impermanence, which is this remembering like all emotions come and go and you can survive it and support. So like the support of a community or an entrepreneurial community who can help you like normalize the experience of the messiness of it all. So yeah, I think that was like a lot, but really then maybe if there's one thing a person can take from that, <laughs> your community. I think community is actually probably now that I say that, that's probably actually the easiest place to start, but like a spiritual entrepreneurial community, if that makes sense, you know, where does one find that? Well, Burning Man, 
so it's funny. I actually don't revitalize. Go to, I don't go to Burning Man, but um, <laughs> but that's only because I'm a really terrible camper and sleeper. But yeah, I mean, like really like, revitalize. I think within like the wellness community, you have to be careful because with spirituality, I find there are a lot of people who were all drawn to it because of suffering, and then there are some people who have done enough of the work to gather self awareness, and then there are some people who aren't quite there yet, and when you have suffering without self-awareness, it can be really destructive and Mm. very violent, not just physically, but like emotionally and toxic. And so just because someone says they're spiritual, it doesn't necessarily mean they're not spiritual. It just means that they, it doesn't mean that they necessarily have like- Are in a place to teach. Yeah, are in a place to teach or in a place to support you. So yeah, I mean, where I would say, yeah, start with like a a therapist or coach critical with your social media intake yeah and one more thing i want to share that i took away from you megan from the panel i moderated for the class right like a year ago yeah yeah talked about social media and body positivity and you shared this thing that i've been sharing with everyone since which is go on your freaking social media account and unfollow every single account that does not empower you that makes you more your understanding of body positivity and what what is right and what is beautiful and just like clean it up wipe it out and totally. only surround yourself with things not to go back to the positive lingo no no but, but surround no. yourself with content that empowers you totally. so go follow megan yeah <laughs> thank you yes yes totally so what's your handle my handle is at megan j bruno it's just my name so m-e-g-a-n-j-b-r-u-n-e-a-u I'm sure you probably have some thoughts on that as a social media expert, but she's perfect. She's perfect. Okay. I was like, I was like, should I change it to like Megan, the therapist, Megan, the coach? I don't know. What was that? Coach life. One shrinks perspective. I love that. Yeah. It's so funny because actually a friend of mine in marketing, like was like, you need to kill one shrinks perspective. You just need MeganBruno.com. And so I did. But since I'm like, you know, I really love one shrinks perspective. I think it's so catchy. Yeah, I know. I feel like I should still resurrect it. it in some way, Yeah, but I don't know. Anyway, the next episode of Woke and Wired, One Shrink's Perspective. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Megan, thank you so much for being here. Before we wrap up, is there anything else you want to share? No, I think like just, just one more comment to what you said there about not bringing in the positive lingo too much. Like I'm certainly not against like positive psychology. There's a difference between positive psychology and positive thinking, right? So like we definitely do want, like there is so much power in like gratitude and perspective and stuff like that. It's just that for a lot of us, when we're feeling really depressed or low, telling ourselves to think mm. positive or be positive is really invalidating. And what it does is it actually creates another layer of like shame and anxiety mm. around what we're already experiencing, which is oftentimes like a really natural, healthy feeling. Like depression may be there to tell you you're not living a life that like you want to be living or, you know, you're really disconnected socially or you hate your job or something like that. Right. And so if you just tell yourself to think positively and you ignore it, you're just going to remain suffering and kind of in denial and like a really shitty place. Basically don't layer positive lingo on ignorance and avoidance, but layer it on facing your shit. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And like, you can, yeah, you can see things, you can reframe things in a way that feels like empowering and, and like, you can find meaning in it and all of that kind of stuff. We just want to err on the side of what we call spiritual bypassing. And spiritual bypassing is where we use things like gratitude and positivity or um, spiritual concepts or even wellness in, you know, eating gluten-free and whatever to like, to avoid our feelings and to avoid, to use as a way of like, you know, using perfectionism or avoid our shame at the end of the day. So try to like, Rumi says the cure for pain is in the pain. Try to go into the pain rather than um, avoiding the pain. And do it, doing it with self-compassion, which is like, changed my life. Kristen Neff, I, amazing, amazing researcher and author, wrote a book called Self-Compassion, which I recommend for everyone. And just will help you understand how you're actually probably really holding yourself back from a lot through mm. being super hard on yourself. I'm going to be checking that out. Guys, if you're inspired by any part of this podcast, then take a screenshot, share it on your Instagram stories and tag both Welcome Wired and Megan J. Bruno. Can't wait to see it. And thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Megan. Thank you for having me. Give me a hug. Thank you. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your friends. Leave a review and find all the show notes on wokeandwired.com. And connect with me on Instagram at wokeandwired. Stay woke, stay wired, and have an incredible day.